So tonight, um, okay, I'm just going to say it. Tonight I'm cheating a little bit. Um, a few weeks ago on Sunday, I preached on John 4, 1 through 13. And I had some ideas of what I wanted to, to go towards, to approach, to think about over the course of Lent here on Wednesday nights. And I could not think of a better passage than the same passage that I preached on a few weeks ago on Sunday. Um, I don't know if it's cheating to use the same passage so closely together. I kind of, I don't know. Let's not include this part in the sermon that we upload, but maybe I'm just admitting it to you guys. (laughs) Now I feel better. Okay. But I am excited to return to this passage for myself, for all of us, this beautiful passage from Luke's Gospel. I'll begin reading uh, again Luke chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let me invite you to pray with me. Loving God, as this familiar passage reminds us of the temptations we face in our own life, of the reality of struggle that, that we know we share with our Savior, as it points us in part to the, the 40 days of this Lenten experience that we are in the midst of, God, for all those things and more, we give you thanks for the power of your holy word as it speaks into our lives. And so, God, I pray that in these moments you would speak through me and, if need be, in spite of me, so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. So there's this great word, uh, aphorism. Um, but I was curious as I started to use it, because it's one of those words that I think I know what it means, but I, <laughs> I, was, I didn't, and that's, I'm glad I looked it up. But an aphorism specifically is a, a short, pithy saying that expresses something that is true. 
And I thought that was interesting because even just by calling something an aphorism, in a sense, you're, you're saying it is true. But there's this whole sort of genre of pithy sayings, um, and so the aphorisms are the ones that we, we essentially believe are true. There's also cliches, and there's idioms. And here's the thing. I, I'm not going to get up here and pretend I know the difference between all those enough to say, oh, that's the one of those, one of those. But all these little sayings, these pithy sayings, pithy is a word I know what it means, and I love that word. It's good, right? Pithy. It's just, anyway, sorry. But here are some that, I, that came to mind for me because I'll end on the one I want to end on. But anyways, it's fun to think of some of these. One of them is, the grass is always greener on the other side. You guys have heard, I get some nods. Yeah, I love that saying, actually. I really do like that one because it's interesting to think about our perspective and how it all, we always think the grass is greener on the other side. But part of what we're aware by that is if we change to the other side, if that's still true, that means where we were is now greener. And so it's, oh, thinking about what does that mean? Oh, it's good. It's deep. Okay, maybe not deep, but it's good, right? There's this other one, too. If it ain't broke, what? Right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what? I don't like that one as much. It just sounds boring, and not just because I love breaking things, but, but like, think about it. Like, eh, if it, it just feels like, are we just going to sit steady? Like, no. I mean, it's not broke, but could it be better? I don't know. Anyways, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Now, that one I really don't like, and, and mostly because it's literally impossible. Don't try it here because please don't. Susan, who oversees our insurance, would, yeah. Um, but um, the, the, the sadly ironic thing about pull yourself up by your bootstraps is the history of that expression actually used to mean the opposite of what it means now. It used to be an expression where if you said you were going to do something and someone said to you, what are you trying to do, pull yourself up by your bootstraps? The point was, that's impossible. You can't do that alone. And now we use it as, you really need to try harder. Pull yourself by your bootstraps, which is literally a physically impossible thing to do. Again, please don't try it here. The one that, that comes to mind for me specifically with our passage, though, is that which does not kill us makes us stronger, right? I kind of like it. I kind of don't like it, which is one way of just putting it. I wrestle with that expression. I haven't read enough Nietzsche to, to like really dig into it, and so forgive my poor philosophical, theological sort of approach, but, but I wrestle with it. And in particular, as we approach it with our perspective of faith or our lives of faith and from the context of our passage, when we think about the idea of being tested or on trial or, or tempted… And especially if we begin to think that, well, if the goal is strength, and if that's a good thing, then does that mean God is always the one behind our temptations, behind our trials? Or are we tempted and tested by another path, by another choice or an option? Is that always God, or is it sometimes us? Is it us living out our brokenness? Are we finding ourselves in situations that produce temptation, or are we just living in a world that does? And, and, and frankly, again, if difficulty makes us stronger, and that's something that we want, then why do we so often seek the easier path? And I say we there, maybe I'm just talking about me, but I got to tell you, the easier path, is that's my preference a lot of the time. Part of the reason I'm thinking about this in particular, of course, is that we're in the season of Lent. And, and this is a time when, for, for many of us, the, the expression of the season, the practice of it, is to engage in, in like new or, or different or often more deliberate, and yes, 
more difficult ways of, of practicing, of living into our faith. We, we intentionally lean into disciplines that most of us don't practice year-round. Fasting, for example. And fasting looks very different. I know some of you have fasted from one thing that you love, or maybe two things that you love, for this period of time. One person who I've spoken with has tried fasting for multiple days a couple of times during this season. So fasting alone can take many different forms, as can the Lenten disciplines that we jumped into. And fasting in particular is often connected, especially because, as we read in our passage, that's a big part of Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And we see in the experience of his wilderness time that he's prepared. He, he is preparing for his mission, for his ministry. As you might recall, this wilderness time takes place for Luke just between his baptism and immediately following, he begins his earthly ministry. Now, let's think about it from another perspective for a second, too. The, the offers that the devil makes are tempting. At the very least, the first one seems, to me, very tempting. To turn a stone into bread. The devil says this to someone who hasn't eaten in 40 days. Worship me and the world will be yours. The devil says this to someone who came to save the world. Is that a path to that? Is that one way he might? The devil says to him, test God's promises by this, albeit ext extreme, faith, free fall kind of experience. And he says that to someone who later will teach that faith can move mountains, so why not? But Jesus rejects these and chooses instead to trust in God and God alone. The offers might have sated his hunger. They might have offered new and simpler, easier paths. But what comes out is his faith in God. It comes out over and above the temptations. So come back to that aphorism, idiom, cliche, whatever, what does not kill us makes us stronger. And I wonder, I mean, I wonder, think about this particular instance. I mean, the temptations didn't kill him. Forty days of not eating would have, okay, it would have killed me probably, but it did not kill Jesus. And he came out better prepared. So that, that's a part of this message maybe, right? What, what did not kill Jesus made him stronger. But, but again, it's my own Faith and, and, and interpretation makes me wrestle with this expression for a couple reasons. And one of them is the word stronger. Stronger. The, the obedience that God leads Jesus into the wilderness and then into his mission. This, his continued faithfulness, it leads not just to strength and that ministry, but we have to understand that that ministry, what it looks like. Remember what it looks like? It looks like being persecuted. It looks like his very people of the faith that he was coming out of, misunderstanding him, of their constant derision and attacks, and ultimately, crucifixion between two thieves. Most, most people of Jesus' time who were of that faith believed that the Messiah was going to come to offer glory and honor, would be a political and military hero, and would defeat their enemies and place them on top. 
But instead, the Messiah came and loved unceasingly, including those that were oppressing his own people and including those that his own people considered the least of these. And then (laughs) preached that they, the least, would be first. And as Jesus challenged the order of the world, the powers of the world, the strength of the world, those powers killed him. So that's my question. Is that strength? Is is crucifixion and resurrection, is that strength? And, and, And I would say, well, we're here together in worship at a Christian church, and we have the privilege of two centuries of hindsight. I would imagine most of us would say yes, yes. But again, we remember not just what they expected the Messiah to be, but we remember Peter denying him three times while he was on trial. We remember that his disciples fled as he was being pledged guilty and gathered together later in hiding, afraid for their own lives. We remember the weeping of those few who stayed with him at the cross. For most, and, and even for most of his closest followers, the crucifixion was not seen as strength. And so part of, part of this, I think, is a warning specifically to be careful who gets to define stronger, (laughs) who gets to tell us what strength is. Because if our goal is to be stronger, and I, I would imagine, at least from a faith perspective, it is, we also need to know what strength looks like. What are we working towards? Especially when we follow a Savior whose love for us didn't falter even on the way to the cross. A Savior who invited us to take up our own crosses so that we might follow Him. Which is not to say that martyrdom is the only expression of strength, certainly not that, but that the strength of the world, the powers and principalities of the world, that we see them as being overcome by love and by what Jesus' own followers in the moment believed initially to be His defeat. And with that in mind, we recognize, and I hope we do so in our own faithfulness, a strength that looks very different. It's also helpful to be reminded um, from this passage that Jesus suffered temptations. (laughs) It, It makes it clear to us, it reminds us that there is no achievement of faith, no level that we can reach when temptation will finally cease. You're not failing, in other words, if you feel tempted sometimes. Sometimes it's easy, or at least easy-ish, to resist some of the temptations we come across, to understand and to choose to glorify God rather than ourselves, just as Jesus did when the devil came and said to him, "Doesn't that stone, wouldn't it be better if it was bread? (laughs) But the truth is, sometimes we are tempted beyond our strength, Sometimes we're tempted beyond our understanding. Don't even know that this is a temptation that we're responding to. And I just have to say this. I'm trying to say it delicately so, you know, no riot or you get mad at me or anything. But I think Jesus had one big leg up on us in Luke 4. And that is that Luke portrays the tempter as who? Who is telling Jesus, turn that stone into bread? Do you remember? Yeah, it was the devil. Anybody ever talk to the devil? I'm really glad nobody raised their hand. I can't believe I asked that. 
<laughs> I didn't write that down. This is the thing. This is why I need to stick to, the, to what I write. But listen, here's the thing. The devil has never come to me and said, hey, you know what, Ben? Why don't you uh, turn that tissue box into a cake? No, I really want cake. But, but the thing is, if it's the devil, then we can be like, dude, you're the devil. I'm not doing what you say. The truth is, that's not who tempts us. Who tempts us are our friends, our family, people who mean well. People who may not even understand that they're tempting us. They might be doing it out of the goodness of their own heart. And we are surrounded by temptations every day. From people who have the best to the worst of intentions, we are consumed by it. And so often, so often, it sounds like it's the right path. It sounds like like it might make us stronger. But the truth is, part part of what we see differently is it's never that direct. It's never that clear, or I should say it's not always that clear. Sometimes the one offering is doing it to serve themselves. Sometimes they really mean to offer us something that they think will be positive. Like, for example, I don't know, at the end of a 40-day fast, an opportunity for bread. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, at what cost? What strength are we working towards? Where are we putting our trust? And this, I think, is part of the beauty of Lent. It's a time when we lean into disciplines, not just to prove our devotion or even to to grow stronger simply because we're doing things that are difficult or different, but that we are working out ways to trust in God as we consider the temptations that we continue to wrestle with opening ourselves up to acknowledge them, to come aware of them, and to trust in God even in the midst of them, just as Jesus does. Our, our trials, look, we, we know, as much as I like to sort of point out and joke, but it's true, Jesus is talking to the devil, and there's a good chance that what the devil's going to offer you want to say no to, but even still, our tries are simple compared to those 40 days of Jesus. And, let's say it, compared to the trials of so many of our siblings here and around the world, suffer with sickness, with poverty, with loss, with war. And so, as we practice our disciplines, as we practice our faith, as we practice this season, we do so not just to suffer as Jesus did, as if that would bring us closer, or to feel the suffering of others, but to uniquely become receptive to the presence of God in our lives, even during the difficult times. To know that even in that moment, that, that crazy, difficult, unbearable temptation or difficulty, that we know God's presence in the midst of it. We know God's unique strength, the love and the sacrifice that is given to us, even and perhaps especially in that moment. That we acknowledge the unique strength that Jesus exampled and shares with us through the power of the Holy Spirit when we also put our trust as God. And when we also, just as he did, turn and, and trust God, even as temptations are laid out before him. Trusting Trusting above all, maybe, that that God did not just lead him to the wilderness, but through it and beyond it. And my prayer, my friends, is that each of us would have the strength, the faith, 
to do the same, to trust that God does not just lead us to the wilderness, but through it and beyond it. Amen.